0: So this uh, forgotten virtues, uh, last week was loyalty. Uh, this week we're gonna talk about the virtue, the lost virtue or forgotten virtue of integrity. You know, integrity is, is one of those powerful things in our life um, that, that we never need to lose uh, sight of. So uh, I think it's important that we say that word. Say the word integrity. Now say it like you mean it. There you go, okay, so Integrity, so... Um, you know, it, it, it's a powerful word. So, so let me get us on the same page um, as, as a definition as we're looking at what it means. So here's what integrity means. It's an adherence to moral and ethical uh, principles, a focus on moral values, and a consistency of honesty. So there's a moral component, there's an honest component, uh, there's a values component, and that's the layman's definition right here that I'm going to work with today. Integrity is when your behavior matches your beliefs. So no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, what you're doing, integrity is when your behavior matches your beliefs. Um, I think most of us could probably say there's been a point in time in our life where maybe our integrity was questionable. Um, You know, yes, uh, I have those moments too. Thank goodness it's not of late. Uh, But it was many, many years ago. Some of you have heard me tell this story. Some of you, this is new. But um, I remember back when our children were five and three. They're uh, well into their 30s now and have family. So this is a long time ago. Um, So our children were five and three. And uh, we had a house that had this special room in it. It was called the sacred room. Anybody else have a sacred room in your house? What made this room so sacred was it had the sacred furniture. You know, nobody was allowed to go in the room. But all you could do is stand on the outside and look inside of the room and look at the sacred furniture. And uh, Patty was so uh, obsessed on having a white couch. So, so we bought a white couch and the day came and the angels were singing, ah, and the delivery truck came and they came out and they brought the white couch and they set it in the forbidden room. Well, I remember very distinctly that once that couch was seated in its proper place, that uh, the two children and I, our two girls and I, we all gathered on the outside of the perimeter and Patty was actually inside of the room. And she was telling the girls, she said, this is a sacred room and you're not allowed in it, not even daddy's allowed in, only mommy can go in this room. And, um, and, and you see here, you see this furniture. So, so you can touch any piece of furniture around the whole house, but when it comes to this white couch, you cannot come near it. Don't look at it. Don't breathe on it. Don't touch it. Don't eat anything near it. And remember what it said in Genesis, if surely you do this and, and partake with the forbidden couch in the forbidden room, surely you will die. And so, so the kids and I, we were like afraid. We were, there's no way we we're going to go in this room. And then all of a sudden, it happened. She mentioned Genesis and sure enough, the fall came. There was a red stain on the white couch. Everybody, everybody said, oh, yeah, a red stain on the white couch. So, so she was like on fire, she was upset. She was interrogating us, the white lights were on us and we're all sweating and she's trying to find out. So she lined us up and she went to our five-year-old, she said, who did this? We're gonna stand here because the couch man said that this stain will never come out. Do you know how long forever is, girls? That's a long time and we're gonna stand here until somebody confesses that they did this. And our five-year-old very quickly went, she did it, to our three-year-old. And our three-year-old's trembling and she's like, I-, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, I, I didn't do it. And, and then I was watching the girls because I knew that there was no way they would speak up because they had never seen their mother so angry before. She was obsessed with this white couch. And I wasn't going to speak up because it had a red stain on it. And I knew I had put it there. So, (laughs) yeah. Integrity. Let's talk about integrity. Uh, You can watch television. You can be online. You can... pretty much be out in public and do everything. And let me tell you what usually happens. We build up in our minds the identity of certain people and we, we value them, we put them on pedestals, we think that they're wonderful and, and we aspire to be that kind of person. Then the athlete does something and their integrity is shaken and that blows our mind. Um, we, we find out you know, the Hollywood star, the politician, the prominent person in our community, even pastors. We see moral failures, we see problems with integrity. And all of a sudden it just cuts us to our very core because we think that everybody should have some sense of integrity. And when that doesn't happen, it just really blows us away. Now remember our definition, the definition we're working with today. Uh, Integrity is when your behavior matches your beliefs. It's an integrated lifestyle. So it's integrated in that who you are and what you do in both private and public should always be the same and your public life should not be any different than your private life. And your private life should not be hiding things when you're doing that in public. In fact, someone said that a great definition of integrity is, is what is it that you're doing or what you're doing when no one else is looking. So that's, that's this value of integrity of the things that we wanna look at. The writer of Proverbs writes this. He says that the uh, integrity of the honest keeps him on track. So if I'm a person of integrity, I'm going to be walking a path with God. I'm gonna be on track in, in living a life of holiness in the way that God calls me to live. But then he says, the deviousness of crooks brings them to ruin. So the minute I start playing around with integrity, the minute I start not being a person of integrity, when I start messing around with that kind of thing, then I become devious and my character is flawed. James, the, the uh, step-brother of Jesus, James says this. James says that, that we become double-minded and when we become double-minded, then we're not the right person <clears throat> that people can listen to or people can follow because they're not sure who it is that we are. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, the, the great prophet Samuel uh, does something pretty outstanding. He, he comes before the people of God and, and Samuel is well along in years. In fact, he's, he's getting ready to die. And imagine this for a second in your own life. So imagine that you come in front of every person that you've ever known. And just like Samuel is in front of the whole people of Israel and he gathers and he says to them, he says these words, he says, if I've done anything to wrong you, if I've done anything to harm you, if I have done anything to be misleading in the ways of the Lord, if I have tried to misguide you or, or to be mischievous in any way, I ask for your forgiveness. But more importantly, name it for me now. Tell me to my face so that I can reconcile before I die. I mean, Samuel's standing in front of the people going like, here's your free shot. Take it. And the people got real quiet when he said that. And then all of a sudden you kinda hear like some mumbling, kinda like the British Parliament, and then somebody speaks up and says, no Samuel, you have been legit before God. You've been legit before all of his people. We know you to be a man of integrity and a man who is righteous. And that's the kind of life that God wants us to have, is that kind of righteous life. Last week I I walked us through the value or the, the virtue of loyalty. And I shared with us how David, the great king, was not loyal at all. In fact, he was not loyal to Uriah the Hittite. He wasn't loyal to a lot of people. And we learned uh, last week that, that David has an affair with another man's wife, he gets her pregnant, he then panics, he thinks I gotta, I've gotta cover this up, and he begins this whole convoluted uh, web of lies and ultimately has Uriah killed on the front lines just to cover up what he has. So so last week, we saw that side of David, and this week, we're going to see how David goes from being a man of disloyalty to being a man of integrity. In fact, Psalm 15 is is a psalm that's written that David is yearning for God's love, David is yearning for God's desire, David is asking some powerful questions with regard to restoration as he stands before God. And David comes to understand that, that, that there are times in life when we just screw up. There are times in our lives when we just mess up so bad, but we have to remember that God is willing and able, and God desires to forgive us when those matters happen. But integrity is the key. So in in Psalm 15, listen to what David writes. He begins by saying, "O Lord, who may abide in your your tent? In other words, God, who can stand in your presence? God, who can come near you? God, who, who can keep company with you? And God answers the question. God says, those who walk blamelessly and do what is right, and they speak the truth from the heart. In other words, God is saying those who have integrity. If you have integrity, then you can stand in my presence. Those who don't slander with their tongue. I mean, how often do our tongues challenge our integrity? You know, we say things, and it's like toothpaste. You kinda of go, and it goes out, and you can't get it back in the tube. And that was a funny noise. Anyway, uh, it says, you know, they, they do, e- do no evil for their friends, and they don't take up a reproach against their neighbors. And he said, but they stand by their oath, even when they hurt. So what it says is, is when you know what the right thing is, when the world is telling you that it's wrong, and you know that it's right, and it's built upon godly principles, and you know it's right, but the world is telling you it's wrong, that you need to stand in the gap and don't give in to that. He says, even when it hurts, be a person of integrity. So what's the good news? I mean, what's the good news about integrity? I, I wanna step you through about four or five of these, they're, they're very brief, um, of things for us to focus on when it comes to integrity. And I wanna encourage you that if you wanna write notes in your bulletin or there's a, a, some paper and, and envelopes that are located in, in the pews and in the chairs where you are, whatever it takes, uh, let's make sure that we get to understand these. Here's the first one. The first one is walk in the steps of the Lord. When you're a person of integrity, you walk in the steps of God. You know, walking with God means that we're in harmony with God, we're in unison with God, we are one with God, that we're not trying to be God, we're not trying to run in a different direction, we're not trying to to press the boundaries, we're not trying to, to give our own way, but we are walking with God and it's so important. David asks the question, who can be with you, Lord? Who can walk with you? And the answer is the one who is upright. So God calls us to be upright, so when we're walking with God, we're walking a path of integrity, and that's so important. I mean, think about it for a moment. Those those that are uh, closest to you, uh, the, the relationships that you have of the people that are the closest to you, what's the one word, what's the one value, what's the one thing that you have with them that you don't have with people that you're not close to? The people that we are the closest to, we have something called intimacy. And intimacy is that which draws us closer together. And it allows us in those spaces of our hearts and in our relationships and our minds that we don't just allow anybody in, but intimate with someone else. We allow them into those deep places of our heart. But listen, if you're married and, and your spouse does something and breaks integrity in that relationship, that intimacy is going to dwindle isn't it? I mean, if you, if you don't have integrity with your kids or your grandkids, if, if what you're doing around them sets a different example and it's not one of integrity, you're gonna damage the relationship that you have with them, the intimacy. They're still gonna obey you because they're afraid of you, but they're not gonna be intimate with you. They're not going to love you because of the way you need them to love, or the way that they should love you. They're gonna love you out of fear, but not out of any other way. So we see that this intimacy is really important. And when we come close to God and when we walk with God, we can let that garbage in our life just go. And God takes that garbage away. Here's the second one. Uh, We have a built-in compass to guide our life. So so when you live a life of integrity, um, you have a built-in compass. So that compass tells you what's right and what's wrong. And believe it or not, folks, we know the difference between right and wrong. We just choose the wrong path so many times. And, and what I've come to learn in my own life and maybe for you too is, where I find myself screwing up at times is I wanna take the easy path. I want the easier solution. I don't have time to wait for something to develop, so I'm gonna to compromise to take the easy way in or out of something just to get it off my plate, to move it off and check off I've got that done. What's next? But that's not what a life of integrity is. It says that we need to use it as a compass in our life to know right from wrong. In Deuteronomy, Moses stands before the people, and he's beginning this, this whole thought process with them, and he's beginning to lay out for them you know, the commandments and everything that they need to know about how to be in a covenantal relationship with God. But then Moses looks at them, and he sternly looks at them, and he says, today you have to make a choice. You either choose life or you choose death. He says, you either choose you know, glory or you choose the things that not of glory. He says, I, I lay before you these, these choices, death or blessings or curses, what's it gonna be? And then he says, I implore you, I'm begging you, I'm asking you in everything that I am, choose life and the people make their choices as to what they do from there. You see, that compass is when we wanna take the steps in the wrong direction, it reminds us, I don't want to do that because I know it's wrong and I'm not going to make the wrong decision. Here's the third uh, good news of integrity a life lived with integrity gives the believer the perfect peace of the heart. The perfect peace of the heart. So often we find ourselves, when we make the bad choices, that we're constantly trying to cover it up. Remember the story of David. David was trying to cover up and he was sweating it because he couldn't cover up the story the way that he wanted it to. He couldn't manipulate it to the end of the result that he wanted, and ultimately he had to make the decision that he did to have the man killed. But you see, peace of heart means that, that you can put your head on your pillow at night and that you don't have to sit there and go through an inventory. Is somebody going to find out what I did today? Peace of heart means that that you're on a business trip or you're traveling alone without your spouse or your loved one um, in a different part of of town or in a different state and you don't sit there and say to yourself, well, because nobody knows me because I'm where people won't recognize who I'm, I can just do what I want. Peace of heart means guarding that and it means being real in, in all of these things. What I know is, is that um, you know, for me, that, that, that when I screw up, and listen, I'm not perfect, just ask my wife, she'll tell you, I'm not perfect, seriously. I, and I hope that you never ever believe that I try to make myself out to be that way, because I'm not. But here's what I found out. When I screw up, when, when I hurt people by words that I say or things that I don't do, or I don't react fast enough that someone else thinks that I should react, or when I just make a bad decision and all that comes to be, you know, what I have found is is that that when I confess that to God, that God removes it from me. That that all of that weight, like a like a backpack full of rocks that I'm carrying around, that's just like weighting me down, when I confess it to God. God frees me of that. The scripture says that that when we confess our, our sins, God casts them as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. And so what we find out is is when we screw up and like David in Psalm 15, David uh, agonized and cried and wept for eight days over the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba and having Uriah killed. He wept for eight days and and tore tore his clothing and and, and didn't eat, he fasted, and he gave himself as as a person of integrity before God. And that's what we need to do. When we screw up, go to God and know and say, God, I I wanna repent and I seek your forgiveness and your restoration in my life. Here's the last one. Integrity uh, generates a gain in trust, honesty, and influence in all things. It gains a trust. So you gain a trust in in all those things. When you live a, a life of integrity, people are gonna trust you, you know. Reputation is what people think about you. It's not who you are. That's what integrity is. But people people are gonna trust you. They're gonna see that you're honest. They're gonna know that they can depend on you. That when you tell them that I'm going to be there for you, when you say to them, I will do this for you, and I will make sure that I'm there to to catch you when you fall, they know they can trust that. But what happens so often is we we go the other way. We... uh, we, we, we don't do that. We, we don't catch people. We don't stand up. We don't come through with what we say we would do, and that integrity is challenged. You see, it's, it's one thing to, to have integrity with God, but, but the Scripture's clear that, that it's not just a relationship with God, but we're supposed to have a relationship with each other. And I love that that's kind of the sign of the cross, the, the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship we have with each other. So all of that comes together as one. If you don't have the favor of the others, then your testimony for the kingdom has no value. If I'm constantly making promises to you, but, I'm, but the life I'm living and the choices that I'm making aren't the right choices, then there's no credibility in the gospel that I share with others to tell them about the forgiveness and the love and the restoration and the grace of Jesus Christ. So they work together and they're important. You see, when you gain respect and trust, it's because you're living a life of integrity. Think about this for a second. Here's just a couple things to throw up. Uh, if you wanna have a home that's honoring God, then, then be a person of integrity. If you want, if you want your kids to, see, to be great kids, then be a person of integrity. Don't let them see one side of you behind closed doors and another side in public. But, but raise your kids with integrity. Let them see that in you. Don't let them take, be taken advantage of by others. If you, if you wanna um, be a good business person in the community, if you wanna make a difference in this local community and you're a business person, then be a business person of integrity. Don't rip people off. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Help them where they need to be helped. Don't gouge them just because you can, but show, but show integrity. The question though is, is, is will, we, will we do that? Will my belief system match my behavior. When I think about that, I, I think of Job. Job is a, a wisdom book in, in the Bible and, and it, it's a, about a man who, who uh, was the richest man in the world and richest man of history. And, and Job had lots of land and cattle and, and wealth and everything. He had a huge family, lots of kids, and, and he was married and you would have thought Job's life was just great. And, and then we learned a little bit about um, Uh, a little bit of a um, a scenario that happens between a a character named Satan, that's the Hebrew name, Satan, and Satan uh, transitions or translates into the word adversary. So so it's a person who is an adversary, usually in court against someone else. So Satan comes to God and says, the only reason why Job is righteous, the only reason why Job is a, a great guy, the only reason why Job, everybody looks at him and says that he walks with you, God, is because he has everything. Who wouldn't? And so the adversary looks at at God and says, I bet if you took everything away from Job, you'd see that there was no integrity at all. So we see a little wager going on in the Bible here between God and this adversary. And and what we know is all of a sudden that that the favor is kind of removed from Job. So, So Job loses all of his wealth. His kids all get executed. He, he loses everything. And then to make matters worse, he gets these boils all over his body that are oozing with pus and nobody wants to be around him because he's a sight to see. And then his wife is nagging at him and his friends are rebuking him. And all they can say is, you just need to tell God that God needs to go and, and, and just get out of your life. God can literally go to hell, Job. Tell God that. Look what he's done to you. And Job says, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm a man of integrity, I love God. And even though all of this has come down upon me, I am not going to rebuke God. And Joe maintained his integrity. That's the kind of life God wants us to have. It's too easy to make the wrong choice, so let's stop making the wrong choices. Let's work to make the harder choices, the right choices to be a person and persons of integrity. Just think for a second, if, if we who are Christians